Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Danny LaRue is back in the building and we are going to run through and break down the glorious, beautiful Southeast Division in the NBA uh, as part of our off-season review for the 2021 off-season. Danny LaRue, how you doing, man? Doing well. I'm enjoying a little bit of, let's call it our version of peace and quiet. Now that Summer League is over, now that the transactions have slowed to something even more faint than a trickle. And uh, it, it's, I, I don't love their, I don't love too long a time of this, but I like some time of this. Yeah, and you know, like I said on the last podcast that we recorded together, part of the reason that I'm banking a lot of these and recording them is because I'm going on a two-week vacation. And by the way, that two-week vacation, because I live in Melbourne right now, uh, will be on my couch because unfortunately I cannot leave the uh, house all that often because we are locked down. Uh, It is uh, a very disappointing disappointing way to live but nonetheless i understand why it's happening uh danny enjoyed his time in las vegas and before we were started recording uh was explaining to me all of the food that he ate in las vegas going to momofuku and hattie b's and places like that in the cosmo oh boy what what jealousy uh an incredible amount of jealousy on my part someday we'll be together again my friend oh yes uh okay let's start and talk about the Southeast Division like we did with the previous podcasts. Uh, We're going to go through these divisions alphabetically, which means we start with the Eastern Conference finalist Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks this offseason signed Trey Young to a five-year $172 million extension that does have max language in it. Correct, Danny? It does. So it could go up to about 207, I believe is the number. Mm-hmm. They signed John Collins to a five-year, $125 million contract. They drafted Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. They re-signed Lou Williams to a one-year, $5 million deal. They re-signed Solomon Hill to a minimum deal. They traded Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando for DeLon Wright. And then they signed Gorgie Jang to a one-year, $4 million contract. I believe that that is everything, correct, Danny? It is. The only thing I'll note is that both Collins and Trey Young have player options on their last year, which is very good work for them. That means that they get the choice of being a free agent in their last year or, you know, picking that up. And I expect both of them to decline it as of now, but we'll have to see. Um, what I think is the, the kind of the most the most salient point for Atlanta is likely probably inspired by their success in the regular season and in the playoffs, despite plenty of injuries is that they largely stayed the course. And that was what we expected after the offseason that Travis Schlenk had in 2020 when they added Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich and had draft picks and drafted a Kongwu and everything else. And so it, it's 
it's sort of uninspiring in the sense that it's exactly what we expected. And honestly, the terms on the big deals are pretty much right in the range that we expected. Exact, exactly with Trey Young, of course. And I, so I think that doing what you expect is not necessarily bad. And I would say for the Hawks, it is not. But it does give us less to discuss. It does give us less to discuss. Uh the big move here to me is that they're bringing in DeLon Wright to kind of manage that backup point guard spot. They used Bogdan Bogdanovich to run the offense a decent amount last year. They used Kevin Herter a little bit to run the offense. Uh, obviously, once they acquired Lou Williams late in the season, Lou Williams took over the backup point guard role. Uh I think DeLon is just a better player than Lou Williams at this stage of Lou's career. Lou is older, obviously, has had an incredible career, and I think he makes sense to have around as an offensive uh, just centerpiece. But the thing with DeLon Wright is DeLon Wright is pretty good at everything, not great at anything. And I think those guys tend to profile pretty well uh, when it comes to playing in the playoffs. They can. And the other luxury that Nate McMillan and Travis Schlenk have is that if they don't need DeLon Wright, they won't play DeLon Wright. Like, he doesn't right. have so much equity within the organization. And there is a part of me every once in a while, I mean, whenever a team doesn't, like, really use their resources fully, that goes, oh, man, they might regret that. You know, like the Hawks, basically what they did with their mid-level exception was they signed Gorgie Jang for part of it, and then they didn't use the rest of it, at least as of now, but I wouldn't expect them to. They yeah. did sign Lou Williams and everything else. It's just like you go, well, okay, well, oh, yeah, they could have they could have gotten this, they could have gotten that, but... The Hawks run, I mean, depending on how you want to count numbers, 11 deep. And so, yes, maybe you could have gotten a slightly better player. And I think the theory behind Gorgie Jang was that Okongwu is going to miss some time with, I believe it's a torn labrum. Yeah. And so the mo- the biggest need that they had was a backup for Clint Capella. And Gorgie Jang is a totally capable backup in that, in that vein. And so, like, there's a part of me that goes, anytime you have the chance to get better, you should probably... You should probably attempt to do it, especially the Hawks' books aren't that bad. They're, I think they're pretty clean. I would describe yep. them that way overall. But let's say instead they're spending 7 or $8 million on Player X, and they're saying, okay, we like you, Player X, but you're going to be our second or third string player at your position. Some guys would do that. Yeah, I mean, if I don't know if like Trevor Ariza would have rather done that for them than gotten the minimum for the Lakers. I, he could have chosen either. He's made plenty of money in his career. So I, I think that for Atlanta, it's it's a totally reasonable set of moves. And the thing that I like the most about it, though, you brought up DeLon Wright, and I think he's a good example of this, is giving themselves, like, I, I, to use, and I, I don't necessarily use poker terms well because I don't play it, but like giving themselves <laughs> outs. So now in the guard rotation, they have, or let's say, let's say they're like one through three. You have Trey at the head, then you have Bogdanovich, you have Hunter, and Reddish, depending on how you want to play them. You have Kevin Herter, you have Lou Will, you have DeLon Wright, you have maybe Sharif Cooper if things work out really well. Um, and so what that means is you can go in a lot of different directions. You can you can put different combinations together. You can see what works, see what doesn't work. And hopefully Nate McMillan uses the regular season in part as a laboratory to test out these different combinations and permutations to see what looks what looks good together. And the playoffs and the regular season are not the same endeavor as the as the Hawks know all too well. And so I think that having, you know, having Lou Will, having DeLon Wright, having Sharif potentially in the rotation there, it only leads to good things unless these players are uncomfortable being smaller, having smaller roles than they have at other points in their career. 
Well, and that's what makes this even more interesting. The one thing that I thought they could have done this offseason that they chose not to go down this road, and I think it's totally reasonable to not go down this road, was they could have made either a consolidation trade in terms of talent, as in consolidating guys like Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich into a better player, into something of a star. I don't think that guy was really out there necessarily, so I don't blame them for not going down this road. Or they could have kicked the can down the road in terms of contract structure a little bit more. Could have moved Cam Reddish for something like a lottery pick in the 2022 or 2021 NBA drafts. And again, we don't know if that trade was out there necessarily, but that is an interesting concept for me, for them. Uh, Potentially trying to, because this roster has a chance to get very expensive very quickly. Having said that, though, because DeAndre Hunter has been really good now, and I think he was really good last season when he was healthy for only like 25, 30 games, and because Cam Reddish only played 25, 30 games last season, you don't know for sure which one of those guys is the keeper yet, I think. Right. Well, And, and that makes it harder. Thing. If they're both keepers and you think they're both going to be better than John Collins, then you just trade John Collins down the road. Totally. Like you're Absolutely not going to do right. it right now. And Collins reasonably paid. I think this is a totally fair contract for him. I'm not saying that he did badly or anybody did badly in the negotiations. I think they ended up at about the right space. And, you know, it's kind of the same story with Gallinari. Like, but Gallinari, he has a, a pretty light partial guarantee for 22-23. Maybe you just move on from him. And it's also going to be a couple more years until the Hawks are expensive. And by that point, I think they'll have a much clearer idea where Hunter and Reddish fit in. And then it just so happens that the timing on Capella and a Kongwu should be pretty square as well. So I think Schlenk will have a lot of information at his disposal that he does not yet have. And that should be pretty good. I, I think that I'm not con- particularly concerned. Trey Young is the one, the one kind of truly irreplaceable piece, and he's locked up now. So yep. great work. Great work by, by them there. And... Outside of that, I think one of the most interesting things that Schlenk got really right in 2020, and I think he did reasonably well here, is understanding that outside of your stars, you kind of want a diversified portfolio, that you want guys who do different things well, who do different things poorly, and then some of them are going to work and some of them won't. And part of the reason things didn't work for the Hawks last year was just so many guys got hurt. And But having functional depth, having like Gallinari so that when Bogdanovich went out, you had somebody who could take some of the offensive workload and who could shore up your second unit and all the other things that Gallo did last year. Like that's, that's a luxury. And I think they did that again, kind of with, with Lou Will and with, with Wright. Yeah, no, I think that they are better. Like to answer the question that we ask at the end of these sections, like they, they're a better team and they will be better than they were last year. You know, the other reason they're better because now they have a full season of Williams instead of a half season of Williams and a half season of Rondo, who straight up sucked for them. Right. And they're hopefully going to get a full season from DeAndre Hunter and hopefully get a full season from Cam Reddish. Uh, even if those guys are what they were last season, it gives them more optionality within game. And I would venture that they probably win more than 41 games this year. Do I think they will make the Eastern Conference Finals next year? Frankly, I don't, if we're being honest, but that doesn't mean they won't be a better team. They will still be growing and building towards something substantial. I just don't know that they'll necessarily make the deep playoff run that they did this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I am I was interested in Jalen Johnson. I thought that he, he was... He looks more like a four to me, but that's good. Yeah. I, I think that wing-sized guys who can do that, who can... We'll see if he can shoot a little bit. We'll see how he can defend. But like... In some ways, like we talked about in the Southwest pod with um, Trey Murphy, 
one of the nice things for the Hawks with Jalen Johnson is if if it works, great. That'd be more power to you. You got another guy to add in the rotation. And if it takes Jalen Johnson a little bit of time, <laughs> that's fine too. You can play him yeah. in the G League. You can do all sorts of other things with him. And so I like that bet. And Sharif Cooper was a lot of fun. I had heard about his passing. He, he was impressive in person. I don't know if he's going to generate enough separation to make it work, but he's on a two-way. So if he doesn't, no harm, no foul. Right. Yeah. No, I, I thought Jalen Johnson looked awesome at Summer League. I, I was not and have never really been a Jalen Johnson guy. This is the utterly perfect situation for him to succeed because where he's going to be good is playing a similar role to what John Collins does as the screening four man who rolls hard to the rim. Uh, He's going to be really good at playing the short role. Like when teams blitz Trey young, he's the screener. And then, you know, they short roll him into that 18 foot range. And then he can take advantage of four on threes with his passing ability. And with his athleticism, he's the guy that particularly popped for me in terms of looking much more athletic within an NBA spacing concept. And just a big picture thing, you and I have sometimes disagreed on these, like if he figures it out, guys, like Jalen Johnson, I think fits firmly in that based on what I've heard about his time at Duke. And for me, one of the reasons that I like betting on those guys is that beyond the financial motivations, there are situational things that are going to lead them to try to work it out in the pros. And not all of them do. I mean, Dennis Smith is a, I mean, he's had their myriad factors there, but Dennis Smith is an example of how it doesn't always. But I, I like taking some of those, especially when your team is good enough that yep. if it, if it ends up snake eyes, okay, that's all, that's fine. Yep. No, I, I agree with you totally. Um, yeah, Jalen Johnson is a guy that if I was, and I'm thinking about doing a story, it might be out by the time this comes out, uh, where I re-rank kind of based off of where guys got picked, like how I would rank the draft uh, class and based off of what we've seen at Summer League. He's a guy that would make a substantial leap up the board already. Uh, he, he looks much, much better than what I thought he would. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets... Uh, Traded the number 57 overall pick for Mason Plumley and the number 37 overall pick. They drafted James Booknight, Kai Jones, and JT Thor in the draft. They traded Devontae Graham for Wes Awundu and a first-round pick in that sign-and-trade deal with New Orleans that you and I talked about on a previous episode. They signed Kelly Oubre to a two-year $26 million deal. They signed Ish Smith to a two-year $9 million deal. Uh, they lost Cody Zeller, Bismack Biombo, Brad Wanamaker, Malik Monk, and Caleb Martin. Uh, I believe that that's everything, right? Yeah, it's everything I have. Uh, interesting offseason for the Charlotte Hornets. I think that they substantially improved their depth and also continued to grow in terms of building a roster that fits very well around LaMelo Ball as the centerpiece. I mostly but definitely not entirely agree. And the biggest thing, and it drove me completely crazy with the with the Hornets offseason, is this is this was not the greatest center class. It, it was not. That's the way it works out. Centers are not easy to come by. Jared Allen got paid a ton of money by the Cavs and everything else. There were better options than Mason Plumley. And Mason Plumley, you know, one year and then has a partial guarantee for the second. Like, for example, Rashawn Holmes. Like, Rashawn Holmes, I think, would have been a wonderful fit with this team. He could have run the floor. He's not the greatest defender, but he is a capable defender. And James Brego has done a lot of different kind of ideas defensively. And the biggest part of it is what, what drove me truly crazy about 
Charlotte's offseason is, yeah, they ended up with Kelly Oubre, and I like Kelly Oubre fine with this team, but if you they didn't choose to apportion their money in really a different way because Oubre signed so late, basically the offseason was over. And from a yeah. point of like basically they got the last guy when the music stopped. I mean, it could have been Schroeder, but, you know, either way. And so I respect, you know, making making a specific move. But if they could have, I mean, remember, they also like, I mean, yeah, they picked up, they, they moved up in the draft and they and they got, I think that was Kai Jones was with, or was that, that was yeah. JT Thor. That was, JT Thor was with that pick. and Oh, with that pick, yeah, yeah. But they also moved yeah, up with, to get Kai Jones, yeah. They did also move up to get Kai Jones. And... So, like, it's weird because they, you know, they added guys that make sense with where this team is and where they're going. Like, I think Ubre is going to help them. I think that Plumlee will help them. I think that Ish Smith will help them. But you kind of, like, this is the this is what makes the, I think I'll use the Hawks as a parallel here, which is you don't get your luxuries until you have your, until you have your primary needs met. And I didn't think that the Hornets had those needs met in the present. Maybe they, maybe somebody like Kai or JT Thor steps in in the future. And so to me, you don't you don't eat your dessert first because you might not get the main course. Yeah. So look, I would rather have just signed Rashawn Holmes than traded for Mason Plumley and JT Thor. Like it, it would have been. But like you have to consider it a move for both. They essentially gave up a nothing pick for Mason Plumley and JT Thor. Uh, I think Rashawn Holmes is just a better player than both of those guys. I would have rather just signed Rashawn Holmes to what will likely be what would have had to have been, I guess I should say, probably something in the range of a $14 million deal uh, to get him away from Sacramento, it seems like. The, yeah, the deal see, that I mean. The deal that Rashawn Holmes signed is not what was reported. It was reported it, at like four fifty six. It could not have been because yeah. we knew exactly what Sacramento had to offer, and it was not that. And so, yeah, the actual, you know, like yeah, there's a trade bonus, and if you want to get it, but if you want to get into that accounting, of course, Charlotte could have given him one of those too. But yeah, Holmes, it, it's like um, a four forty six, isn't it? Four, yeah, it's four forty six final year player option. So yes, Charlotte could have absolutely beaten that. They could have beaten that without breaking a sweat. If they had wanted to, and they didn't, okay. Um, but I think you want to you want to work some you want to have a reason for it. And the other the the weird thing, and this happens like, sometimes, like for Kelly if, Oubre, if you're, just, just real quick, like if you're Charlotte, sure. you offer Rashawn Holmes four sixty with a team option pretty easily, right? Yeah, and then the, and you, by swapping the player option for a team option because you paid him a bunch more money, you get more flexibility. And for the Hornets, you're not sacrificing much. You know, like they right. kind of had the space to work with. And so for the player, you're getting you're getting a lot more money over the over the terms of it. And if they you know pick up that team option, okay, you're getting a lot of money then. And if, right, and, and, and if, if you're Rashawn Holmes, you're you're at four years, forty seven million guaranteed now. Uh, you know if you're taking the Charlotte offer, it's basically three years, 45 million. So you're not even losing that much guaranteed money. If you're worried about like, you know, well, just you're not losing, getting the biggest and, amount and of money. And if you're worried about losing the control, I mean, you could probably even could have done a three-year deal. And then if you do a three-year deal, then he has full bird rights at the end of it. You can work, you could negotiate an extension. There are all sorts of other things that you could do. And so, yeah, for Charlotte, that the road not traveled, I think for them would have made them a materially better team. And Charlotte in the same thing we've talked about a couple times in in the way we came up in the Southwest pod is they don't have a ton of spending power slash flexibility moving forward. Like they could clear cap space in 22. 
it's it's possible that they could do so, but that's likely coming at the expense of like losing Terry Rozier or something else happening. Like I think they're going to keep Miles Bridges. I yeah. think they're you know I think they'd rather kind of keep this team together. And so what that means is they didn't kick the can down the road. This is the can. Like that this is what they chose, and that's not exactly that inspiring. And I hope that Kai Jones or Vernon Carrier, Nick Richards, or JT Thor, like one of these guys can really step in and, and solve that, or they can get a good center for the mid-level exception next year. Like there, there are ways that they can solve this, but this was their best chance. And they eventually got Kelly Oubre. I think Kelly Oubre is a good basketball player, but he also is more of like a hole filler for this team rather than a central figure. And that's yeah good. But, like, okay, he's not going to – I don't think he moves in over any of the starters. He's just more basically, like, he can plug in in case any of them is out, hurt, or, you know, injured, or whatever whatever it is, whatever, foul trouble, whatever the case may be. And then you have a partial guarantee in him for next year, and you make that decision at that time. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I kind of disagree with you on that, just if only okay. because I think that – this team is still very early in its development phase being built around LaMelo Ball. And yeah, you're right that they don't have a ton of flexibility over the next few years. I also don't know... Like, I think that they're basically trying to find guys who do work with LaMelo and trying to find guys that like play the style of play that Borrego wants to play... And because they have such a long chain to go down with LaMelo, they have him essentially for eight more years if they want him, seven more years, let's say. I kind of think that they're playing this right by just going and getting a lot of guys, going and getting like legit assets, like for the Devontae Graham move. Like Devontae Graham is probably not going to be a legitimate starter on the team that with uh, LaMelo Ball is really good, so you move him for a first-round pick. Uh, but James Booknight and Kai Jones might. And well, Miles I, I Bridges will note and that, I PJ will Washington the weird, might. The resource they got for for Devontae is it's not a fake first, but it's a very unusual one in that if New Orleans misses the playoffs, then Charlotte gets two seconds. And if New Orleans makes the playoffs, they get the pick. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like New Orleans might make the playoffs this year. Like genuinely, that's a they real might. possibility. Um, but you take a flyer on Kelly Oubre. You see if Kelly Oubre works next to LaMelo and works next to... Gordon Hayward, right? Uh, if he doesn't work, you can move on. I believe after this year, because I think that second year's team option, right? It's a partial guarantee. Partial guarantee. So I like what they're doing, going and just trying a lot of different athletic players that can get out and run with Lamelo and seeing what sticks. While also, I think having enough flexibility long term uh, to be able to like kind of move around and finagle if they need to. Right, because not like any of these guys are under contract for like four more years, basically. Yeah, that, that's a fair point, and um, something that will eventually resolve. Mitch Kupchak has a lot of roster spots tied up in, I would say, lower ceiling fours and fives. Like, oh, I'm yeah, not the like, biggest fan of like having Vernon Carey. Carey and Nick Richards and all of these dudes under contract. Like, I, I don't know yeah. what they're doing there, to be honest. Yeah, and so some of them will work out, but yeah, and and I generally support teams keeping. You know, like one of the ways to do this, and I think Memphis might end up doing this, is like start the start the training camp with more than fifteen guaranteed guys, and somebody's not going to pop, and you just trade them or cut them. But you have to actually do that, and you can't. And they're you know they're a little bit shallow on wings if guys get hurt and. It's also like I'm fine 
holding roster spots for talented players, even if they're at positions of lower value. But I don't personally see Carey and Richards as like top 15 starter upside. And so then, you know, if you need to hold hold a roster spot for young Jermaine O'Neal for three years, by all means. But I don't see either of them as that type of guy. Yeah, I just don't even... I'm just like not even interested really in Vernon Carey and Nick Richards. So like I would cut them (laughs) like, I mean, or I would like try and move them for whatever protected picks I can. I think that they obviously probably think pretty similarly, given the fact they just drafted Kai Jones, but like you can't have this many young centers on your roster. It just doesn't really make that much sense. Yeah. Even if some of them can play the four, but I mean, they also have like, we didn't even mention PJ Washington, miles bridges, I think is better as a three than as a four, but he could end up going that direction. Like they have, they have a lot of guys in that conversation now. And yeah. Jalen McDaniels, who I like a lot. Yeah, they they just have a lot of lower rung guys on this roster and they'll that that'll get figured out like they'll figure out who they want to keep who they want to move on from and make moves based off of that. It's going to be easy to move off of a lot of those minimum contract guys. We'll see where it goes. Uh, I would say Charlotte is better than they were last year, but and, and I like the position they're in going forward. I don't think they're like substantially better or anything by any stretch. Agreed. I I wish they I wish they added something that gave them a different defensive wrinkle. But yeah, and and we'll see what happens with Book Knight. He is the big moving piece moving forward. I I'm interested. I, I will say I think Kai Jones is like a big swing piece in this draft. Sure. Like he's he is a potential home run. Um, he also might be out of the league in like four years, but. If it works, he's going to be really good, I think. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with the team that had the, uh, the one of the bigger off-seasons this year in Miami. Okay, and we're back. Let's talk about the Miami Heat this off-season. They signed Kyle Lowry to a three-year $85 million contract. They traded Goran Dragic and Precious Achua in a deal to Toronto in that sign and trade. They extended Jimmy Butler. I believe that the way that extension worked is Jimmy opted into the player option and then added three years as opposed to declining and then adding four, right? I believe that is what happened, yes. Uh, they signed Victor Oladipo to a minimum deal. They signed P.J. Tucker to a two-year $14 million deal. They re-signed Duncan Robinson to a five-year $90 million contract. They signed Markeith Morris, Dwayne Dedman, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Omir Yurtsevin to essentially one-year guarantee deals. They re-signed Udonis Haslam. They lose Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Ariza, Andre Iguodala, Nemanja Bjelica, as well as the aforementioned Goran Dragic and Precious Achua. A totally different roster this year in Miami. I think that they're better for it. I don't know how much better they are long-term for it, but this front office just tends to figure some things out. So where are we at on what the Miami Heat did this offseason? They're going to be good. I mean, they're, they're going to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, but this comes down to a question, I would say, of how do you, uh, you know, the, yeah, as you know, this is one of my favorite terms, but it's like, how do you define success? So yeah, I would not expect, knowing what we know right now, I would not expect the Miami Heat to make an NBA Finals over the three years of Kyle Lowry's contract. They can, and we've had many recent examples, including the Phoenix Suns last year and arguably the Bucks last year, where, what, no, not even arguably, where the best team, the most talented team in a conference 
did not end up winning it. And so I think Miami got themselves in the arena with this. So one idea is they like, so if, if you're good with that, if you're good with the idea that you can be in the mix, but probably not favored to win, more power to you. But the counter to that, and I think this is where Pat Riley would go, I think this is where Mickey Harrison would go, is what was their real alternative? Because they have Jimmy Butler, they have Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson. So if they, they're kind of too good to keep the powder dry, they wouldn't have gotten any other premium assets. They're, they weren't going to really have cap space moving forward. So they gave up Goran Dragic, expiring contract, and they gave up Precious to get Kyle Lowry, who is a better player and who Jimmy Butler seems happy to have. So I think it's kind of more, it's not even about like, did they get better or even like how good are they now? We, we can definitely and should have that conversation, but it's more, are you okay with where they are? I, I am okay with where they are. And I think that you are as well, based off of what you're saying yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, I would say they're probably the second through fifth best team in the Eastern Conference, depending on how all this shakes out. Yeah. Like I would definitely take Brooklyn ahead of them. I would, for the regular season, definitely take Milwaukee uh, ahead of them. Agreed. Uh, I mean, Philly, it just depends on what shakes out with the Ben Simmons thing. Like, we just don't know. And then Atlanta is also firmly in the mix here as well. So, yeah, I, I would and say... So, and, and to me, so is Boston. Like, I Yeah, think so they hit, third through sixth, yeah. No, and sec- I would say second through sixth. Because, you, like... You would even throw them in with Milwaukee. There's a, I mean, it's. I would say I would expect Milwaukee, but it is plausible, especially if Milwaukee. You think about the wear and tear that's on their guys. You know, like so. Uh, something listeners should remember is that we talked a lot, a lot, a lot last year about how short the off season was. This off season is the same length as last off season, from finals to start of season, and. Not only did the Bucks make it all the way through, working their guys in insane degree, but a few of their guys, because they wanted to, and more power to them. I mean, incredible for Drew and for Chris Middleton. They then played in the Olympics on top of that and worked, you know, flew flew back and forth to Japan. They did all the extra time. So I wouldn't I think that the Bucks on paper are better, but I wouldn't guarantee that that translates in full because of these external factors. Yeah, I generally agree with that. And I'll talk about the Central Division at some point with a guest that uh, I think people on the podcast will be familiar with. But yeah, this Miami team is in an interesting space now to where if Jimmy Butler continues to play well, if Bam Adebayo continues to play well, uh, if Duncan Robinson continues to play well, and then Kyle Lowry obviously adds what we think Lowry can add feels like this team is well positioned to be a good regular season team. For me, what is most intriguing about this is I really like the way that they look in the playoffs as well. Jimmy Butler can go get his own shot. Kyle Lowry can go get his own shot. Bam can't really get his own shot, but is effective enough within sets to where it's interesting. And then all of their starters now, let's throw Duncan Robinson in and I would look. I think Tyler Hero probably plays more minutes than PJ Tucker, don't you? Not more high leverage minutes, but low leverage minutes. Yeah, probably. I'm uh, look. Tyler Hero was not very good this last year, but he still averaged like 15 points on like what was it like 44, 36, 90, or 44, 36, 80. It looks like here looking at it. I think we kind of expected too much of Tyler Hero, and. 
if we look at it in well, the context, here, here's the other thing: of, if we're talking about playoff minutes, I don't think they want to play Robinson and Hero together. I think they'll want to play yeah. one of the two of them. So that might be a better I, point. Yeah, but like in the context of like second year. Tyler Hero averaging 15 points per game on 44, 36, 80 shooting and having a two to one assist turnover ratio. Like that's a pretty good year year for a 21 year old player in the NBA. In certain ways, I think that the, you know, some of the drop offs that happened from the bubble, which at this point we could say was the bet kind of not the best case scenario, but like the high watermark for him to this point. Yeah. Um, but so with and and there are the the murmurs about his attitude and all the other stuff. So like I sure. think I think the spot is there for Hero if he takes it. But if he doesn't take it, then they'll find somebody who will. Yeah, I think that that's totally reasonable and right. But I, I think that like like I'm still relatively in on Tyler Hero. I guess is what I would say compared to where everyone seems to be out on him at this point. Um, yeah, I would say I would say my stance on him has moved less dramatically. In both directions, like I was more net, I was more ambivalent about his rise, and then I was less reactionary to his fall. And what do we do with Victor Oladipo, by the way? Oh, I think this. I think you treat this as a as a gap year. I don't so even you, know. I don't. You just like don't even think he can really like do anything this year. Well, we'll see. I mean, if he can, then great. But I don't think you need him. You don't. You're not relying on. You're not relying on him. And the other nice thing about the timeline is that if he's ready, it's most likely to be around the playoffs and. Great, more power to you if you can get him. Yeah, that's a very fair point. If the Oladipo thing works, he does kind of change their calculus a little bit. Because by re-signing with Miami, he restarted his bird rights. Or he keeps his bird rights, I'm sorry. Which actually gives them like a really interesting piece if he's good. It does. I mean, it would be very expensive for ownership, but they could consider it. And then the other possibility for Miami is that it would have to be a team that doesn't have cap space, but maybe they could do a sign and trade and get something, not something premium in return, but something modest. Yeah, something weird with Oladipo. Uh, That's kind of getting into the weeds, though. I, I like the way that this team profiles in the playoffs, though, because I think that they can simultaneously create offense off the ball and on the ball with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and... PJ Tucker, they have, I think, one of the better units to be able to defend teams like Milwaukee and Brooklyn that have a lot of high leverage self-creating players. Uh, I just kind of like the way this roster mixes together at the end of the day. I still worry about their offense and I worry about how they don't have a lot of outs. You know, the hero is probably the one. And so if PJ Tucker takes a step back. If Jimmy's not the same guy defensively, like that, I think they, you know, Lowry could could potentially have another could have another drop. I mean, he's, you know, point guard in his early mid thirties, like that can happen. And so I wish I wish they had somebody else for me to be like, oh, if that guy takes a step forward, they're going to be really good. And yeah. I know I know you like Max Drews and some of the other guys, but they're not they're not quite there. And Marquise Morris, like, isn't isn't that guy at this stage in his career? So. Max Struess is that guy. He's maybe that it's guy. A, maybe it's Max. Maybe it's Max. Maybe it's a buyout player. I think Miami yeah. could be interesting in that respect. But you know, like I'm. So I think I'm a little bit more worried about their offense. I think it's going to. You know, they have they have players like the, there is a theory of the case, but I don't know. You know, against the teams that really slow things down. Or here's the other way of putting it. Let's say they run up against the Brooklyn Nets, and this is part of why. I mean, maybe the Nets are just so anomalous that we shouldn't talk about them for this. It's like. Okay, if Miami can't slow them down enough 
for them to out like to, to outscore him. You know, like that that's sort of a, a, right. a problem. Like the Nets are but maybe that's why the Nets should be the heavy favorites to win the Eastern Conference. I, I just kinda think it's gonna be hard for anyone to outscore Brooklyn. Uh, right. Good. And and but yeah, you know, like it's uh, for example, like if, if Miami faces Philly in a series, knowing yeah. what we know right now and that would change. I I think there's a meaningful chance I pick Miami in that series. I think there's, you know, I would Knowing what we know right now, I'd pick them against the Hawks. I'd pick them, and in a Bucks series, you know, like the Bucks waxed them last year. But these will be different rosters for both teams, including one player changing from one team to the other. And I, I think that I'm, not, I, I don't know, I don't need to pick it. But so, like, Miami's in a good place. And the other part of this is it doesn't happen every year, but it's fairly frequent that one of the top teams in your conference will fall off due to injury or something else. And then if, if all you need is one team to do it, you can. Yeah. I mean, that team was Miami last year, frankly, uh, this year, they went from making the finals to, uh, being what the six seed, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or, I mean, what I mean by that is like Brooklyn, two of their three best players got hurt. All of a sudden they're not, they're not the same threat. They were like, yeah, that's, it, it, it might not necessarily be the nets, but unfortunately playoffs are always a battle of attrition. Yeah, and, no, they really are. So, so that's why being in the being in the mix is useful. Okay, uh, Miami just tangibly much better than they were. Absolutely. Last year. Yeah, the, there's just not really another argument against it. Let's move on. Let's go to the fourth team in this division, which will take the shortest amount of time: the Orlando Magic. Uh, they drafted Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. They signed Mo Wagner. Uh, signed Robin Lopez. They waived Dwayne Bacon. They lost Otto Porter. I believe that that's basically it for them, right? Yep. Um, we'll see what they do in terms of extensions with Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter. But yeah, I mean, they. I think they were extremely fortunate that Jalen Suggs fell to them at five. He looked very good in summer league. And I'm, yeah. I've am i been lower on Franz Wagner. I continue to be lower on Franz Wagner, but we'll have to see. Even if I thought that, a, thought that a prospect was the best player I'd ever seen or the worst player I'd ever seen in summer league, it would still want a lot more information before made any sort of definitive thing. And so Orlando, like I, this comes up a couple of times in every offseason where a, a bad team benefits from not having flexibility. And I think that was actually a really good thing for Orlando because they couldn't really go in any other direction after yep. they, you know, they got Gary Harris in the Aaron Gordon deal. They signed Isaac and Fultz to those extensions. So they basically have their team. And that meant that they, you know, they could have used the full mid-level if they wanted to. They still have this big old trade exception if they want to use it, which I think they might just do that potentially later in the season to get an asset if the right player is available. So the to me the most interesting part of it, I mean we'll talk about Suggs and Wagner, of course, but like in, if if the if the goal for Jeff Weltman in the front office was to maximize the twenty one twenty-two talent, they probably would have used the mid-level exception in a different way than Robin Lopez, considering they already have two centers they want to play. But having Lopez mentor those guys, having another capable player who's both good enough to help you but not good enough to set you on a different trajectory, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like not gonna be upset about signing Robin Lopez. Like, it's fine. It's a one year yeah. deal for five million. It'd be like yeah, missing it's a, the it's a one year deal. Trees. It's a one year deal yeah. that you could potentially like. It wouldn't stun me to see Lopez and let's say Ross or Harris in a deal at or around the deadline, bringing back somebody who's on like a worse contract plus an asset, and that the other team 
is excited about getting Robin Lopez for a $5 million contract. Right, and getting Terrence Ross as sure. uh, a scorer off the bench. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, what what team that would be that would do that, that could actually try to move or would want to move some money. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, belabor the point by really thinking about it long term. Like, like, is there a chance that, like, yeah, no, I mean, like, someone gets hurt for Utah or something, like, injuries happen and they need Robin Lopez or something like that. Or, like... I'll give you I'll give you one. The Indiana Pacers. Like let's say the Pacers right. need a little depth. They have Jeremy Lamb who's making ten million. And so they could, you know, do something small like that. And I they wouldn't probably need Robin Lopez, but who knows if their roster changes around a little bit. But like you you never the other part of this is you never know where things are gonna shake out, but you know that someone's gonna need a player of that ilk because somebody's gonna get hurt. Right. No, that's absolutely right. Um this was a successful offseason for the Orlando Magic because they got Jalen Suggs, who is the number two player on my board. And I think he's going to be an all-star level player who has an outside shot of being an all-NBA player. They got the centerpiece that they need to build around, just straight up. Like, that—that well, that is the only thing that matters for them this offseason. And beyond that, they got that centerpiece, and I don't think it sabotages their ability to get another. So yep, I, totally. would, I, I think the Magic are going to be one of the five worst teams in the league next year that doesn't guarantee you're going to get that player in the 2022 draft but yep that's the mistake they avoided the mistake that a lot of teams do which is okay you got one guy that you really like and then okay isaac and and fultz who this front office just resigned you know you get into all that kind of stuff it's like okay you get maybe one or two more bites at that apple and so then if and, and then by that point if suggs is awesome great yeah no uh they have not hampered their ability to evaluate the roster uh, other than maybe at the center position, depending on how much Robin Lopez plays. Uh, but if Mo Bamba can't beat out Robin Lopez at this point, that's a problem for Orlando. And that says something in and of itself, I think. Uh, just in general, this is a this team's fine. They're rolling right along. They are going to be bad this year. Uh, they now have a direction, though, because they have Jalen Suggs. I'm a little bit lower on Franz Wagner, much as you are, but I still think he's fine, and I still think he'll be a valuable rotation player for Orlando going forward. We'll see where it goes, right? So Orlando, look, doesn't matter if they got better or worse this summer, but they now have a clear direction, and they are building around Jalen Suggs, and honestly, probably will be more exciting to watch at the very least. Maybe that's the way to put it, right? Yeah, and I think that there are there are big benefits to owning where you are, and I think that Orlando is going to reap those benefits over the course of the next next year, but more accurately over the course of the next four. Okay. Final team for us to talk about the Washington Wizards, which had a substantial move this offseason. And we'll talk about them right after this commercial break. Okay, the Washington Wizards, they moved Russell Westbrook this summer in what was the most convoluted trade in the last decade in the NBA. Danny, you're the purveyor of convoluted trades. Please, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's. It's in the mix at bare minimum. I mean, it was it was a pretty ridiculous one. 
it's a five-team deal, and we're only going to talk about what happened with Washington within that deal. They moved Russell Westbrook uh, to the Los Angeles Lakers. They acquired Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrezl Harrell, and the 22nd pick in the 2021 NBA draft. They moved that 22nd pick for Aaron Holiday and the number 31 pick in the draft. They drafted Corey Kispert at 15 and Isaiah Todd at 31. Then they signed Spencer Dinwiddie and included that deal within the sign and trade for Westbrook and moved Chandler Hutchison to San Antonio. Uh, San Antonio then moved, I believe, Milatinov's rights to Brooklyn. All sorts of convoluted. What matters here is essentially it was Russell Westbrook for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Montres Harrell, uh, Aaron Holiday, Isaiah Todd. And 31. Yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie, period, I guess. <laughs> um, what a. What a set of moves. They also re-signed Howell Neto as well. I believe that that's everything they did this summer, right? Yeah. And uh, I think this was a really successful offseason for Tommy Shepard and the Wizards. And I didn't necessarily see that coming. And part of it is they went, they were able to convert a single player in Russell Westbrook into both a lot of different players and flexibility. Because... Yep. While Dinwiddie, he has two fully guaranteed years at a totally reasonable price and then a partial guarantee, which can become fully guaranteed if he plays enough games. KCP has a light partial guarantee for the for the, for the 22-23. Montrez Harrell has no guaranteed money. Kuzma's only making 13 mil. So they were basically able to reshuffle Russell Westbrook into potentially four players that can help them. And those four players can be either a part of the Wizards moving forward, or they can be a part of different teams through trades and through everything else. And so I I really didn't like what the Wizards did, partially because of Westbrook, but a lot of it was also just like they gave this bad contract to Davis Bertans. And my criticism of, of what Shepard did in 2020 was that they needed everything to go well to be even decent. And they were on the fringes of decent. You know, they did technically make the playoffs, but they were, you know, that, that we know how that went. Um, and now I'm not saying it's definitely going to work, but they have more guys that can play. They have more depth in rotation. And also if Beal wants to go elsewhere, if they end up, you know, wanting to move in a different way, or even just some of these players work out and some of them don't, then they're not tethered to two more years of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I generally agree with all of that uh this was a great off season in terms of flexibility and the ability to make different moves and decisions going forward and this off season gives them flexibility dependent upon like regardless of whether or not bradley beal wants to be there or not i think that that's the ultimate key here we still don't know what Bradley Beal's ultimate decision is going to be in terms of long-term staying in Washington. It feels like he's going to stay in Washington at the very least for this offseason. Maybe in October when he's able to sign an extension, he signs like a three-year extension and they can build around Bradley Beal with what they have on the roster going forward. We shall see. But this move with Russell Westbrook, given the players they acquired, it gives them the ability to aggregate those players at some point into a trade and go get another guy who can be a star next to Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie, or it allows them to just 
let those to move those guys maybe for future value if Bradley Beal moves on because I think that there are certainly teams that would love to have Ken Contavious Caldwell Pope and Kyle Kuzma to an extent for sure uh Look, I, I didn't like the Isaiah Todd pick at 31. I thought it was kind of a ridiculous pick, if we're being honest. But uh, I, I would have just rather taken like Miles McBride at 22 than taken on Aaron Holiday and Isaiah Todd. But if we're being honest, you know, whatever, fine. Like, go do your thing, Washington, and take your bet on Aaron Holiday being good for a year and take your bet on uh, Isaiah Todd being good eventually, which I don't think he will be, but whatever. Yeah, I don't have as many thoughts on their draft guys just yet. We'll have to. I, I kind of want to see where it goes for Kisper and for um, what the twenty two thirty one and all all that. But it is another another time that Tommy Shepard bet on a player who hadn't really succeeded other places. Who I d- wouldn't say has like starter upside. You know, they did that with Troy Brown and Chandler Hutchison and Jerome Nair Robinson. Holiday, Jerome um, Robinson and yeah. like it's it's a. It's a worthwhile approach. However, I think you need to do it for the right players. And I, I think he's second drafting wrong, but hopefully he's right with Aaron Holiday. I mean, I want it, I want it to work out. And Holiday, you know, they, he is an option for backup point guard. I'm really happy they re-signed Neto because now, now if Holiday doesn't work out, they have something built in. And also, I'm really happy that players like Kuzma, like Kuzma was in such a weird situation when on the on the Lakers where like his role changed a lot they brought in LeBron they yeah. brought in AD and now I think he's going to have a more a more sustainable ecosystem for him and they can maybe find his offensive game back and I don't think I it's funny because I've never been the biggest Kuzma believer and that's still true but I think he's better than what he has been and he was a you know a useful def- a useful role player on the Lakers title team in 2020 but now we'll get a clearer sense of what he is and 13 million for two more years and then a player option that was the extension that he signed originally with the Lakers that's a that's totally fine like that's you know you're not i mean even if he ends up not being the player that everybody hopes that he is he's still you know a a, a forward sized player making backup money well and the thing with Kuzma too is that i actually have like his my opinion of him has grown uh in my estimation at least over the course of the last couple of years as he's dealt with all of this different um role allocation he's gotten much better defensively like he is actually a pretty switchable defender now like he's not necessarily a plus defender that you build around like scheme wise on that end but he is versatile and does some different things uh he's pretty good on offense and i will be interested to see what he looks like i would try to run him with second units the problem is that i think there's also a couple of guys on this roster that i would run want to run the offense through uh second units with with Rui and with denny avdia right now at least look this roster is kind of a mess uh in the front court still like they just have a lot of bodies uh they also have quite a few wings that I will be interested to see how they use. Like the starting lineup for this team next year is probably something like Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I would venture they're going to start Rui, even though I would not like, I I would think that that's probably the route that they go. Uh, And then at the center position, you might go Gafford then. And then like, bring Denny and Kuzma off the bench and have them run that unit. Hopefully Thomas Bryant gets back healthy. 
<laughs> it's a weird front court roster. And they have Montrez Harrell. It's a weird front court. And I think there probably is another shoe to drop, even this offseason, potentially, in terms of maneuvering around those guys and making them fit better. But it's a more it's a roster that makes more sense for where they're going than what it was when Russell Westbrook was taking up every single possession. Yeah, I agree. Okay, the Washington Wizards, do we think this team will be better this season than they were last season? Is actually a real question, I think. I do. I, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be better for them than Russell Westbrook was. Interesting. Okay. Tell me why. I think that he is a he is a more nuanced offensive player. I think that he can he can fit well with Beal and can actually he's not the greatest four spacer but he can he can do that and he it's interesting did what he has these splits the last couple of years i've looked into this going into the offseason he's a much better catch and shoot three-point shooter than he is a pull-up guy and that makes sense when you think about kind of where, where his game is and so yeah. that makes him a nice fit along with beal what the big challenge for me with the whiz is not actually from that front it's that how are they going to square this defensively? Because they were way better than we expected defensively last year after being abysmal two years ago. And they just lost one of their best defenders in Robin Lopez. They're probably going back to Thomas Bryant. And they added some more capable defenders in the rotation, but I'm not actually sure they're going to play those gentlemen. So it might... It might not be as, you know, like KCP, if he's playing the three, then he's that that's a challenging spot for him. You know, a lot of those type of things. Yeah. So I think that... But I think Dinwiddie... Westbrook, he's not going to have better counting stats. Like uh, that, uh, Russell Westbrook is. Yeah, like is like Russell Russell Westbrook in the last half of the season last year, from like mid March onward, averaged twenty three, thirteen, and thirteen. Uh, sure, that's like ridiculous. But that's but Russell Westbrook insane. for the full season was not awesome. Four hundred minutes. Yeah. 51% true shooting, 30% usage. And it's not like the Wizards' offense was super good when Westbrook was on and Beal was off. Like, that, that's been one of my calibrators for players. This is part of the reason I ripped Dennis Schroeder for a lot over the years. And, I mean, he got a cheap contract and all that. Is that it's it's easy to look good in certain respects as the second-best offensive player with the skill set that a lot of these guys have. But when you're the... But if you can't hack it as the number one guy, then you're just not super useful. And Okay, so here's the stat on it. Last year when Russell Westbrook had was always on the floor and Bradley Beal was not, and yes, a lot of these lineups were massively screwed up from a spacing standpoint. It was like Russ and Ish Smith or somebody else, and they had a 105 offensive rating. That's terrible. Ter- that's Westbrook on Beal off. And so, like, I think Dinwiddie can be better than that. I think that he was better, like as the individual creator for the Nets two years ago than than Westbrook has been the last three years. Yeah, I think that everyone kind of equates the way that Russ and Bradley Beal played together with that final stretch of games where they went seventeen and six in their final twenty three games, and Russell Westbrook averaged twenty three fourteen and fourteen over that time, uh, and Bradley Beal played I want to say like nineteen of those twenty three or whatever games, and averaged thirty one four and four and was unbelievable, but you take away that stretch of the season, I mean, this team was fourteen and. 35 or something at one point like they were they were abysmally bad at one point and even if even if westbrook was hurt for a portion of that time which it seems like is kind of the loose consensus yeah he was still terrible 
And like if we're replace like you're not just replacing the best Russell Westbrook for 25 games, you're replacing the entirety of Russell Westbrook. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that that's right. Um, I-, I would venture that they are probably slightly better than, or I would say they probably go something similar to around 500, which is what they were last year. They were 34 and 38 last year. I would guess that they go something like 36 and 36 again. Um, the problem for them is that the East is better now. Philadelphia, look, we, we have them ahead of Washington in the uh, hierarchy, regardless of what happens with Ben Simmons. We'll see what happens with Ben Simmons, though. Definitely Brooklyn ahead of them. I would still have the Knicks ahead of them in the hierarchy. I still think that they're just a little bit better of a team. Oh, I uh, agree. Especially with Kemba now. Like, if they hadn't gotten Kemba, it would have been different. But no, I have the Knicks above them, too. Yeah, I would certainly have the Celtics ahead. I would certainly have Milwaukee ahead. I think I would have Indiana ahead with a coach that uh, makes people actually want to be in the building. Um I think I would have the Bulls ahead of Washington as well at this point. Uh, and then obviously Atlanta and Miami, that's 10 teams uh, ahead of them. Like I, I would say that Washington, look, on paper, and basketball is not played on paper, it's played on the court, and this is not counting Toronto, who I think will be interesting on some level, and not counting Charlotte, who also will be interesting on some level. Um, I think that even not counting those teams, they're probably on the outside looking in in what is going to be a much better Eastern Conference. Yeah, I would agree. And it's notable that all of these teams like basically that it seems like the play-in is is motivating teams that are more on the fringes to be more competitive but also part of it is just where talent is that it just so happens there are a number of good players that are on teams that probably aren't going to win a playoff series and those you know like Chicago and Washington with Levine and Beal respectively those teams went more aggressively after being as good as they can be even if they can't be truly great yeah yeah so while on paper, I think I do agree with you. This team probably is slightly better. I mean, if we're thinking they're the 10th or 11th or 12th best team in the East, like that's probably not a 36-win team or a 35-win team even. So I don't know. It, they're a, Washington's in a weird place right now, but it's a much better transitional space than they were in when they had Russell Westbrook on the roster, I think. Yep. Danny, I'm glad that you get some time off now. We're done recording these two podcasts. Is, that, is everything going okay? Let's let's tell the people what's going on in Danny LaRue's life now that basketball's over. Come on. Oh, well, I don't talk a ton about my personal life, so I'm not going to continue to not talk about it publicly here. <laughs> um, but things are things are good. And um, so, I, I mean, well, the one I will tell is that I'm at some point in the future, depending on when this is released, I'll be hopefully having the second surgery on my collarbone. So, and hopefully that goes well. That's so, very exciting. Um, so yeah, it um and then if you want to listen, if you want to check out my other work, uh Dunked On with Nate Duncan, we have both the free version and Dunked On Prime which covers the rest of the week. You know, free is once a week, Dunked On Prime is everything else and we also do Discord and chats and all that fun stuff and then Real GM Radio is once a week. I do writing for the Athletic including some stuff with you. And um all of that will continue because like like you I think most of the time I genuinely enjoy working, and I think having a small amount of it is a is a good yeah. kind of like balance within my life. So I will take a break later on in the off season, but you should still be seeing stuff from me pretty frequently throughout the this part of the off season. No, yeah, that, that's definitely how I am too. I, I do like working. I love the job that I have. I think we're incredibly lucky to have the jobs that we have. Um, I will say, I don't know if you feel this way or not. I right around draft the end of the draft cycle. I started to get burned out like that. Oh, I had same 18, for me. I mean, yeah, that 18 month put or 18. Yeah. 18 month push that we had. 
it kind of especially for me because I didn't get any offseason last year because the finals ended it was the draft and then literally the next week college basketball started again so I I was I'm ready to take two weeks off let's put it that way Danny I'm glad that you came on I'm super glad that we got a chance to talk I'm super glad that people are going to go listen to Real GM Radio. They're going to go listen to Dunked On. They're going to go read you at The Athletic. And this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week. Maybe, I don't know what order I'm going to release these in. I'm banking a few of them. We'll see what order they get done in. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.